Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. 46% of Americans expect to leave behind financial obligations when they pass away. So it's crucial to make sure your family is financially protected. Policy Genius helps you find the right life insurance coverage by comparing options from America's top insurers with help from licensed, award-winning agents. Secure your financial future with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get free life insurance quotes in just a few clicks. That's policygenius.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation brought to you by Go Wild. Now, Go Wild is the ultimate app for hunters and fishermen and all outdoor enthusiasts. Their mission is to craft and curate a community where outdoorsmen and outdoors women can engage, interact, and learn. There's no BS. There's no politics. Just good old wholesome conversation about what drives us as outdoor enthusiasts. Now, where can you find this app? You can find this app wherever you currently download your apps, or you can get more information on their website, timetogowild.com. Trust me when I say it's a fun app, and it's dedicated to men and women who just love the outdoors. So download the app today, play around with it, and I guess join the next big thing on social media. My name is Clay Newcomb, and I'm the host of the Bear Hunting Magazine podcast. I'll also be your host into the world of hunting, the icon of North American wilderness, the bear. We'll talk about tactics, gear, conservation, but we'll also bring you into some of the wildest country on the planet, chasing bear. Welcome to the Bear Hunting Magazine podcast. I think this is our fourth podcast, I'm not sure, but... We are at the global headquarters of Bear Hunting Magazine. Me and my good buddy Colby Moorhead just got back from the wilds of northern Manitoba. We got back two days ago. So we're just now recovering from an epic road trip and an epic hunt. Yep. So what we're going to talk about in this podcast is we're going we're gonna to talk about our hunt. We're going to detail out the specifics of what happened. We're not holding anything back. We're going to share it all, spill all our guts here. But we're also going to talk about some specific topics inside of the hunt that were relevant, like shot placement. Because Mr. Moorhead 
made a very unique shot that turned out great. And I think we can all learn something from it, right? Yep. Yep. And uh, we're going to talk about fall bear hunting way up north. Most Canadian bear hunting is done in the spring. And there's some super benefits to hunting in the fall. I've only bear hunted in Canada in the fall one other time. So we're going to talk about kind of the differences between spring and fall bear hunting. We're going to talk about our friend Corey Grant and all-terrain bear hunts. At Bear Hunting Magazine, a big part of what we do is represent outfitters, bear hunting outfitters. A lot of them are from Canada. And so Corey Grant is a longtime Bear Hunting Magazine advertiser. He uh, he has been an outfitter since 1999. The former owner of Bear Hunting Magazine hunted with Corey Grant back in the mid-2000s and killed a Boone and Crockett bear with him. And so the magazine has a lot of history with Corey. This is the first time that I've hunted with Corey, first time that Colby hunted with Corey. And we we had a good hunt with him. We really did. We will also spill the spill the beans about how my hunt went, which I I can't I'm, I cannot tell yet exactly. I can't tell the people yet what happened. But uh, we partook in some world class walleye fishing, um, which was a new thing for me. I've fished quite a bit up in northern Canada, but usually we're in big pike waters. But uh, we were in a tremendous walleye lake, and then. We'll close out this episode by talking about the road trip home and Colby and I, like a couple of bandits from the South, were able to evade the law on three different traffic stops. And we've got a routine that we think will help all bear hunters and outdoorsmen in general mm-hmm. be able mm-hmm. to, when they fight the law, to win. It's all about documentation. <laughs> documentation <laughs> and overwhelming them with information. Yep. <laughs> Lots of movement. No, no. So I want to introduce to you Colby Moorhead. Colby is from Dallas. Mm-hmm. This was your first bear hunt. Yeah, yeah. Never seen a bear before this. So you're you deer hunted your whole life. You fished. Yep. You grew up grew up hunting. Yep. And then when did you want to start bear hunting? <laughs> After coming across Bear Hunting Magazine, just you know, following the content and how much much fun it is. And, uh, you know, it always seemed like people have a good time, very relational um, inside of the hunts. And so it just seemed like a, a good group to to uh, traverse with, I guess. Yeah. yeah. You know, bear hunts and bear camp in the far north is typically pretty laid back mm-hmm. as opposed to a lot of other different kinds of hunts. And this is something that we talk about all the time. Um, you know, uh, not that it's, well it's you're at a bear camp and typically you're just hunting in the evenings. Mm-hmm. And so you have a lot of time during the day to uh, fish, to just relax. So a lot of these Northern hunts are kind of laid back mm-hmm. as compared to a hunt that you're waking up at the crack of dawn and you're going out and hunting the mornings and evenings. Mm-hmm. So it's a different, it's a different style of hunt, which all of us like to really challenge ourselves and kind of have that type two fun when it comes to hunting which is st- something that's fun later, not necessarily fun in the moment. Yeah. You know, which like sometimes whitetail hunting and, and lots of different types of hunting can be, and bear hunting can be as well. But it's a little bit more laid back and um, just a unique hunt. Bear hunting over bait in Canada is, you're going to see a lot of game. That's usually a given. 
Not always. Usually given, if you're going with a really good outfitter in a good region, you're going to see bears. You may not see bears every hunt, but for the most part, you're probably going to see game every hunt. And one thing that I always say is that a baited bear hunt, you get to interact with a big game animal more intimately than any other type of hunting. And when I say intimately, I just mean close, personal. You're, you're getting to see these animals for long periods of time. Most types of hunting, like when you see your target animal, I mean, you are trying to take advantage of that opportunity. You're trying to shoot that animal as quick as possible. So you actually don't get to see that animal do what it does when you're not there. That's the cool thing about a baited bear hunt is you are, first of all, usually the first couple of bears that come in are not target bears. Or maybe you sit for days without seeing a target bear. And so the place that you're sitting is the destination of where these animals want to go. You know, you're at a bait site. And so you get to watch these animals be bears. So we saw bears fighting. We saw bears, lots of bear vocalizations. We saw young bears. Now, you you weren't with me when I saw the sow with three cubs, but you did see a different sow with three cubs, didn't you? Well, we saw the three cubs without the sow. Right, right, yeah. right. Yeah, so when you guys went in to bait a spot when I was hunting by myself. Mm-hmm. So you got to see some pretty unique bear yeah. behavior. Yeah, yeah, it was really cool. I, I think the vocalization has really shocked me as far as like how how many they actually have. So it was really cool, and you could start to anticipate by their, you know, the way they that they would move and like what they would do, like what they were about to do, and just to yeah. try to learn like the characteristics of each individual bear because they weren't all the ways the same. You know, yeah. I think that was the biggest takeaway is that there were no two bears that acted identical. You know, yeah. So it was pretty cool to see those those individual characteristics that they had. They all do have personalities, and there were certain bears that were. That are like aggressive, if we could say that. Not aggressive necessarily towards us, but mm-hmm. like we're just aggressive towards other bears, aggressive towards defending the bait, mm-hmm. aggressive towards, well, towards us. Mm-hmm. I mean, they'd come over to our ground blind or come over to where we were and want to check us out. They were always looking at us. And then there were other bears that when they came in, they knew we were there, but they never, it was almost like they never gave us the, the, the the honor of even looking at us in the eye. I mm-hmm. mean, it's kind of like they knew we were there, but they didn't they didn't really acknowledge us. Mm-hmm. The bear you killed was like that. Yeah, I find that the bigger, older, mature bears will often come in, and, and they might know you're there, which is a unique thing for wilderness hunting. And we can talk about that. He might know you're there, but it's like he's not gonna acknowledge you really. Mm-hmm. Where some of these little bears come in and they're just like, bam, they're just looking at you mm-hmm. and they're circling you and they're wanting to come up to you and mess with you. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then the lesser bears are usually pretty vocal, pretty active, moving around a lot, wanting to fight and woof and pop their teeth and do all kind of stuff. So it's, it's fun to see the different personalities of, the, of these bears. And, and going back to my point about big game hunting, a lot of people don't understand hunting over bait. You know, they, they feel like it's not exciting or whatever, but there's bit, there's, there's pros and cons to everything you do. I mean, I enjoy a spot and stalk hunt. That's just a, just to go out, find animal on their natural patterns and hunt them. I mean, that's a lot of what I do, 
and it's some of my favorite hunting. But at the same time, hunting animals over bait is also some of my favorite hunting because number one, it's a conservation tool to be able to manage bears in places where you would not kill bears at all if you're just spotting stock hunting. Mm-hmm. I mean, the far north is absolutely as thick as I mean, it's it's super thick. Can't see. You're never going to find these bears. So so modern hunters like us have to view it in the way it is, is that it's a conservation tool to be able to manage bear numbers in places where there are compromised populations of ungulates. Moose, you know, Corey was talking to us. I mean, it's a good mm-hmm. moose area up there, mm-hmm. and their bear hunting plays a role in that. So baiting bears is part of a conservation hunting strategy. Mm-hmm. Number two, it ain't easy. Mm-hmm. I mean, to kill a target bear over bait anywhere is not easy. I mean, if you've never done it, you think you just go out and put out bait and go shoot a older age class, mature male bear, just, you know, yogi bear walking up to a pile of donuts. Mm-hmm. Not so. I mean, not so. I mean, if, 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 if I could jump to, well, I don't want to give away my hunt, but let's just say <laughs> I hunted for an extended period of time mm-hmm. and only encountered a few target bears. Um, so it's, it's a, it's a, it's a challenge, especially here in Arkansas and Oklahoma and places in the lower 48 that for whatever reason get more pressure. Their bears are much more educated. They're, they're super difficult to kill. I mean, it, I almost think you'd have a better chance spotting stalking an older age class male in some places than hunting them over bait because they just get smart to you. Mm-hmm. So, so I say that to say it is a challenge. So, and, and then the other pro is that you just get to see, Get to see animals, get to see a lot of animals. It's a lot of fun. And it's just a it, interacting with a predator for somebody that is mainly used to hunting deer. It's like a whole new experience. What, what was that like for you? I mean, just because this was the first, the first bear you saw was actually on the drive into bear camp. Yeah. We saw a bear cross the road. Yeah. It was high five. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we were like it's high, high five, five moment. first bear. Yeah, first bear, and then we saw another one. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah, on the drive on the drive yeah. into bear camp, we saw two bears cross the road. Yeah, yeah, and then one swimming the lake from camp. Yeah, and the, the camp was awesome. Yeah, but uh, hunting predators is definitely is definitely different. It's like, hmm, if they come close, I might not be as comfortable. <laughs> yeah, like if a whitetail comes up a few yards away, it's like that's just a cool interaction. Yeah, but uh, yeah, if if there's one looking at you from close, it's like. How am I going to deal with this? <laughs> yeah. 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 What's my response in this situation? Yeah. And it's it's unnerving for some people how a bear responds to us. Mm-hmm. I mean, we are used to animals when they see us in wild places running, wanting to get the heck away. Mm-hmm. But and, and some bears act that way, but over bait, typically they don't. And so it's a little unnerving you know, to, to see an animal that just doesn't really care that you're there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but it's just an interesting hunt, interesting hunt for sure. So, so we drove, Colby mm-hmm. drove from Dallas to Northwest Arkansas. And then we drove together from Northwest Arkansas to Northern Manitoba, Thompson, Manitoba, which is if, so if Manitoba, if you measure the length of Manitoba, we were about three quarters of the way up. Mm-hmm. So we were probably 300 miles south of the none of it territory. I believe I, I geographic lesson here. 
pretty sure it's none of it that's north of Manitoba. Mm-hmm. And uh, Corey was telling us, and I actually didn't know this, but there are polar bears on northern Manitoba. Mm-hmm. He was showing us pictures of polar bears, like by his plane, like two hundred miles north of where we're hunting, right? Yeah. So I mean, this is like way north. Mm-hmm. This is like far northern part of part of Canada, and it was about a twenty-two hour road trip for us. Mm-hmm. I have chosen to drive to Canada the last two years when I've had the opportunity to. Um, for several reasons, namely I get to leave when I want to and come home when I want to, and we can carry a bunch of gear. Um, and it's, and usually I'm going with somebody. So it's been kind of convenient. People haven't understood that. They're like, why don't you fly? Man, I hate flying. Flying stresses me out. If I'm flying somewhere like two days before I fly, I'm just like, I find myself stressed out. Mm -hmm. If I drive, it's kind of a little more laid back, but so what did you think about the drive? You- it wasn't as bad as I expected. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a long. I mean, it's a day at least if you're driving straight. Yeah. And uh, no, I know it wasn't bad. Uh, a lot of new stuff to see. I had never been that far north. So just to see the landscape change was, was really cool. And uh, you get into Canada and it's like a whole other world because everything's so thick off the side of the road. So you go from, you know, plains to just you're in wilderness. <laughs> and yeah. And the further you go back, it's like, man, I wonder what all wildlife wildlife is out here, you know. Yeah. And uh, watching the roads and just thinking, it's like, wait, there aren't any whitetail up here. <laughs> yeah. You know, so it's like the change in wildlife from, from you know, just in, within a couple hundred miles is crazy too. Yeah. You know, it's it's interesting because yeah, we leave here and we're on the fringe of the eastern deciduous forest, like basically from the Arkansas line all the way to the Atlantic Ocean is, it, you know, if you're talking in massive, uh, uh, let's see, what would be the right word? Uh, not topographical, not geographical, but just like uh, climax forest. We're in the Eastern Deciduous Forest. From here all the way to the Atlantic Ocean would have, before European settlers got here, been 100% forested. From the border of Arkansas to basically the Rocky Mountains is the the plains. Mm-hmm. I mean, you get very far into, you start heading west in Oklahoma, you get into like flat country, great plains. Mm-hmm. I mean, big time stuff. So we drove, we kind of, we kind of cut the, the edge of the deciduous forest and the plains, went up through Southern Missouri. And then once we get into Iowa, you're still you're still in the eastern deciduous forest, but then we started to kind of move west, and that's when we transitioned into South Dakota, North Dakota, mm-hmm. and that's like big flatland plains. A lot of Southern ag Canada land. is mm-hmm. big ag land. I mean, breadbasket of the planet type land, mm-hmm. and then you get into the boreal forest. Mm-hmm. About a third of the way up into Manitoba, you hit the boreal forest, and the boreal forest is an amazing place. It's not spectacular beauty like the Rockies. Or it's not like majestic beauty, like sitting on top of, you know, the Continental Divide in Montana and seeing snow-capped mountains. It's more of a, to me, it's more of a nuanced, rugged beauty of, well, it's jack pines, it's spruce, there are a lot of poplar. Mm-hmm. But these trees only get to grow for five to maybe six months a year. Average snowfall is like super deep. And so it's like a rugged environment. And to me, that's where the beauty comes from is, mm-hmm. you know, that anything that has survived up here is a 
ultimate specialist. You know, they, they, mm-hmm. that animal, that tree, that plant has developed, you know, it's, it, it's designed for that environment. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so to me, the beauty comes in just understanding the difficulty of being a living thing there. You know? mm-hmm. And just like you said too, as you travel north, you get into the different, uh, the different wildlife transitions. And up there, the only things that are there as far as big game are the odd caribou, which mm-hmm. there are some caribou there, moose, mm-hmm. black bear, and wolves. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yep. Those four things. Mm-hmm. And I mean, in caribou, we weren't going to see any caribou right mm-hmm. where we were at. Mm-hmm. I mean, they might get the odd herd that would come through a small herd. Now, moose, yes, a lot of this good classic moose country. But really, the thing that dominates the landscape is black bear. Mm-hmm. I mean, the boreal forest was made for black bear. And, uh, and also wolf. Mm-hmm. To diverge slightly, just because I said the term wolf, a lot of our outfitters in Barony Magazine offer wolf tags for on their fall bear hunts and some of their spring hunts. I've always kind of thought that was just like a consolation prize that maybe just happened really randomly with hunters. But while we were there, we realized what a real possibility is to shoot a wolf in the fall. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the guys, we weren't, so Col- So Corey has two camps, the northern camp, southern camp. Colby and I were uh, just, it was just us in the southern camp. And there were five or six hunters in the northern camp. And on the first night, one of the guys in the north killed a wolf mm-hmm. with a bow. Yeah. Um and we were seeing wolf pictures on trail cameras, mm-hmm. probably not every day, but often mm-hmm. on the baits we were hunting. Mm-hmm. And on the final day of my hunt, we bumped a wolf off of the bait. We didn't see it, but we saw the trail mm-hmm. camera pictures later. We bumped a wolf off of the bait while I was there. And I mean, so when I climbed up in the tree, it was like a wolf was here like 30 minutes ago, sitting mm-hmm. right there. And they're actually eating the corn and grease. Yeah. Yeah. And then Corey spotted a wolf on the way out too. Yep. When we were headed out of camp. If, yeah, if we'd have played our cards just right, we'd have seen it. Mm-hmm. We were following the outfitter out on the way out one mm-hmm. night and he saw a wolf cross the road. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, wolves are up there big time. Yeah. And I mean, it's a real possibility to shoot a wolf, mm-hmm. which was cool. So, the wildlife, the transition. So we said all that to say it's pretty cool to road trip to the far north. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, economically, I haven't done the math, but uh, for two people, we definitely saved money. I mean, mm-hmm. we would have spent 600 bucks a piece and then rented a car and then drove another eight hours probably. Mm-hmm. So yeah. we, we would have had $2,000 in travel expenses mm-hmm. probably between the two of us. Yeah. And so we probably spent... Uh, it wasn't that much. Seven hundred bucks in fuel. Yeah, maybe combined, not even that much. Combined. Combined. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So combined, it travel expense was a lot less. Mm-hmm. Now we were traveling for a good part of this when we when we switched over the old white Betty Chevrolet to kilometers per hour. <laughs> oh yeah, we had her pegged out at one hundred and forty kilometers yeah. per hour. We had no idea how fast we were going. Yeah. Turns out that's about eighty miles per hour. So we were we were averaging about eighty miles yeah. per hour. And the law didn't wasn't around. <laughs> Not in Canada. <laughs> There's no laws on the road in Canada. Oh man! When we got to Canada, and and you, you start hitting these speed limit signs that are in kilometers per hour. Yeah. And just FYI, well, it's probably just Americans listening to this, but. 
if perhaps a Canadian listens to this, Americans have zero understanding and native ability to translate kilometers per hour into miles per hour. Yeah. So we had no idea how fast we were going. So we decided that since we didn't know that maybe the laws just didn't apply to bear hunters. Yeah. So we just, it just we yeah. were passing those Canucks left and right. Yeah. You just got to do what's comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> uh, totally safe, though. We were totally yeah. safe. But, now, so... So that gets us to our through our road trip. Okay? Yeah. So yeah. we we the arrive at Thompson, Manitoba, mm-hmm. and to get to Bear Camp, we drove about forty five minutes out of Thompson, put all our stuff in a boat, mm-hmm. and then took a boat to his what he calls his outpost camp, mm-hmm. which is a uh, super nice. I mean, I, I guess you'd call it a lodge. I mean, it's not mm-hmm. like one large building, but it was. Multiple log cabin buildings, mm-hmm. sleeping quarters, and then uh, the the main lodge. It's, it's a small lodge, rustic but nice, clean. You know, we uh, weren't roughing it. <laughs> no, we we were not roughing it. Felt like the lap of luxury. Yeah, uh, yeah, off the grid style. <laughs> yep, totally off the grid. You can't drive. I mean, the only way to get there is by boat. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, or if you're cool by float plane. Yeah, if you're, yep, <laughs> yep. Corey brought in his float plane the first night. So the only way to get there was by boat. And so we ended up taking the boat to every day we bear hunted, mm-hmm. which to me added a neat, a neat feel to the hunt, mm-hmm. you know. But, uh, so just a little bit about the camp. So we, we stayed in our own bunkhouse and, uh, right on the lake shore. Uh, the cook and uh, the, the cooks were fishing every day right off the dock. We didn't fish off the dock much, but mm. I mean, just a spectacular 180 degree scene of this Canadian lake up there. Mm. And you guys will be able to watch it on Bear Horizon when we release that episode. You'll you'll see kind of where we stayed. Super nice. Mm-hmm. We had uh, three way too big meals every day. Mm-hmm. We ate a lot, mm-hmm. so this was not roughing it. Oh. No, but uh, in a daily shower, that, that was pretty yeah, surprising. Hot shower, yeah, good food, mm-hmm. yeah, electricity. It was it was it was nice. We saw a piece of the Northern Lights. Yep. Yeah. The second or third night, while we were there, while we were coming back from a bear hunt, the clouds were low, but above us was an open sky. It's pretty neat. Riding back on that boat mm-hmm. with no lights at night. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Corey knows how to navigate that lake really well. A lot of and trust that, and a lot of instant trust. <laughs> yeah. 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 But we could see, we could see the Northern Lights, uh, just to, I tried to convince Coley that the Northern Lights were to the south of us, <laughs> but, uh, it only worked for just like a few seconds. And it's like, wait a minute. But, so we did see the Northern Lights for just a second. They get some spectacular views of the Northern Lights mm-hmm. pretty often. Yeah, I saw um, some photos on Corey's phone. And they were just phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the let's go like so. The first day, so our plan was is that Colby was going to hunt, and I was going to try to hunt with him and film. And so this will be your first bear hunt. Mm-hmm. So this is the first day. Corey takes us to a spot that's got like a two-man stand, mm-hmm. and uh, just just walk us through the 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 that hunt, Colby. Yeah, yeah. So it was uh, scoot up just a little bit closer to our bike. There we go. <laughs> yeah, so it was. Uh, I mean, at least by this time, I had seen three bears, just none none up close. <laughs> right. 
And so, yeah, we got in the stand. Corey set everything up, you know, tried to make sure that the that the bears would stay in the area. Um, whenever we were there, it seemed like there was quite a bit of bait out. And so, yeah, we would have a, we had a bear come in first, and he was pretty cautious. Um, but you know, he was more interested in the in the corn than he than he was with us. Um, and he would come back and check us out every once in a while. He stood at us once, with you know, which was cool. Then we had a second bear come in, and then that's when it got really cool to see them interact with each other. And that you know, each bear had its own bubble that it was cuff- comfortable with, uh, right. giving other bears room. And then they would, um, you know, they would vocalize and chase each other a little bit. Um, and what was really cool is whenever the big bear was coming in, um, the one that we that I actually got, that it, um, they just started acting acting out like you knew something was coming. They were just really uncomfortable. Yeah. Uh, and so all of a sudden he walks under the stand, and you just you watch him walk by, and you could just see how wide he was, you know, yeah. and. Uh, all of a sudden, he goes up by a barrel, and Clay looks over. He's like, he's not fitting in that barrel. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, he was just – he was a really big bear. What would you say? Was you, were you guessing around 350? Yeah. I mean, we we think he was 350, and, and I would say he was minimum 350. Yeah, he looked pretty heavy. Had uh, Clay noticed he had really, really big pads on his, yep. on his paws. And so uh, he just – he was in there, and then he chased a few of the smaller bears off a few times and um you know it was clear that this was was a a good specimen to take out a good a good mature board uh to harvest and so i uh he came back from chasing a bear off and he was you know standing up and he was just quartering towards me and then he uh i was like as soon as he turns there's my shot so i drew and then he turned and i kind of got in my my shot cycle and then he started walking, and it was like I couldn't pull the arrow back. So uh, I hit it a little far back. It was still middle, but it was about eight inches, what, about eight inches back? Yeah. It was a straight gut shot, and uh, I just felt terrible. As, as soon as the arrow left, I uh, I knew <laughs> I mm. knew it wasn't the shot that I, uh, that I had planned on. And mm. so we'd been patient. We watched him. We took our time, but... You know, in the end, it was uh, one of those things where it was just, you know, it was a bad judgment call. Um, and so then he he ran off for, what, about 30, 40 yards, something like that, and mm-hmm. stopped out in the woods. And then one of the other bears that we had been watching came out and chased after him, um, went out there and stood up at him. And then we didn't hear anything else out of the bear. And the other one came back and fed until Corey came and picked us up. And... uh that I had a lit knock on my arrow and it was just mocking me. It's like yeah, he made these, a bad decision. <laughs> these twinkling, alternating red and green knocks. Yeah, that I just watched out there. <laughs> yeah. So I was I was pretty hard on myself for the time it took for Corey to get out there, and all of a sudden I was like, you know what? It's just time to shift gears from, uh, you know, the shot was bad. So now what's the right right decision? And so it's like no matter what it takes, we're gonna find this bear. <laughs> you yeah. know. And so I just had to have that hope that we were recovering. Well, and so there's two there's two things I want to talk about about mm-hmm. this, which is the shot. Mm-hmm. But before we talk about the actual shot, because we've said it was far back, um, which that's going to be important, I want to talk about the decision to shoot this bear. Yeah. I think that's the biggest thing with a baited bear hunt where people mess up, mm-hmm. is that they, they shoot a lesser bear mm-hmm. when they could shoot an older bear. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, 
there's like so this these were the first bears that you'd ever seen yeah from the stand yeah and now you've you have been tutored by the bear hunting magazine yeah vlog you've been tutored by bear hunting magazine for several years so mm-hmm. i would assume that you're above the the typical grade here yeah. colby yeah i would hope kidding. so <laughs> now it really is hard i mean like yeah. the, the the first glimpse that you see a bear mm-hmm I mean, you're like, man, that's a big bear. I mean, like, the first mm-hmm. time I saw the bear that walked in first, mm-hmm. I was like, I mean, in my heart, it was like, that's a big bear. Mm-hmm. And then I immediately saw his ears and head, and I was like, just an average bear. I mean, immediately you're able to, mm-hmm. to interpret it. And a lot of it has to do with scale. A lot of it, it's multiple factors. If, if you lean on just one factor to judge a bear, you'll end up messing up. Like all these bears were fairly tall. They weren't short bears. They weren't like two-year-old bears. They were probably three to five-year-old bears. We had these two bears that came in first. Mm-hmm. Both of them boars. Mm-hmm. I mean, the we could, yep, yep. And we could tell they were boars. And, and I'll tell you, I leaned more on this hunt for whatever reason on telling a bear was a boar by seeing the hair that hang down yeah. on the front of them yeah. off, of the, off of their sheath. Mm-hmm. You could see this like three or four inch hair that would hang down yeah. off about the middle of their belly. Yeah. You know, and uh, that was pretty visible. But the but a boar is typically just going to be taller. Mm-hmm. You know, just he's just going to look taller and lankier. The, the sows are squatty and short. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Uh, you can tell a younger bear by a narrower head, a more immature head. A big boar is just going to have a big, blocky, Rottweiler-looking head, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but there's a lot of other factors, too. I mean, we saw several mature-looking boars mm-hmm. that probably only weighed in the 275-pound, 250-pound class that had a lot of features of big bears. And I can see somebody shooting them thinking they were shooting them. 350 to 400 pound bear mm-hmm. they just weren't and so you need things for scale you need um you know what we used on this one was the barrel All, a lot of these bears went and laid down by a barrel that was laid over mm-hmm. and i said do you think you could fit that bear into the barrel i had an old bear outfitter tell me that one time mm-hmm. he says when you see a bear that won't fit into a 55 gallon drum or mm-hmm. you'd have a hard time putting it in there mm-hmm. <laughs> Kind of a graphic image, shoving a bear in there. Yeah. But he's like, that's a shooter. Mm-hmm. So these two bears that came in, when they laid down by the barrel, you're like, they would fit. easily yeah. fit in that 55-gallon mm-hmm. drum. When, But more than that, there were other features. I mean, their, their, their paws and feet weren't huge. Ears and face were narrower. Um, they just weren't that big bear. Didn't have a big drooping belly. Mm-hmm. So when we saw this bear, it came in beneath us. Mm-hmm. I immediately noticed just how thick it was. And it was just a notch bigger than these other bears, mm-hmm. which these other bears would have been shooters in many camps across mm-hmm. North America. They really would have. Either yeah. one of those two bears. This bear came in. He had big, I, when he when he was walking away from us, I, I watched him walk and I saw his pad kind of come up and I saw it. And I could tell that it was over five inches, probably six inches wide. I mean, it just looked like a, just a huge pad. Mm-hmm. And that's what I was like, man, that's a, that's a big bear. <laughs> but it was yeah. a nuanced difference. Like if mm-hmm. you just would have glanced at it, like maybe you wouldn't have noticed. Mm-hmm. But anyway, he went over laid by the barrel. He was, he was just bigger than all these other bears. We made the decision to shoot it. And, uh, and then it was on. Mm-hmm. So uh, those are just a few, few tips there about judging bears that 
might be helpful, but it's it's a challenge. I mean, mm-hmm. even, even for me, seeing a lot of bears, taking a lot of bears over bait, it's still a challenge to really mm-hmm. judge them. Um, so moving to the shot, mm-hmm. we've we've written articles, we've talked about shot placement for years and years. Bears are one of the hardest big game animals to get a good clean shot on for multiple reasons that we've talked about so many times. Mm-hmm. They've got. Four, you know, two to four inches of hair all over their body, which exaggerates their size. So they're really not as big as they look, number one. Mm-hmm. Number two, especially in the fall, they've got two to four inches of fat over a good portion of their body, which the fat is going to be non-vital area. So they're, again, exaggerated to really how big they are. So their vitals and where you're trying to hit is smaller than what it looks like. Number three, they're solid black. And a solid black animal doesn't show the features of the animal in the light like a short-haired, light-colored deer would. Mm. Like you could see where like you'd see the shadows on a deer's shoulder where it came up. You could see where the hip came up. Like mm. the, it, the light just shows up better mm. on a black bear. It's just like you're just looking into a shadow. Mm. So it's hard to like just pick out the exact spot that you want to hit. Mm. Number four. Their vitals are slightly different than a whitetail's. Not not a lot, but slightly different. They're slightly further back. And you can, and it was proved this week, that you can shoot one way back. Mm-hmm. And you got a really good chance of finding that animal. Mm-hmm. We've published an article in Barony Magazine several years ago called Middle of the Middle, where a lot of these Canadian outfitters say that. Shoot a bear in the middle of the middle. Like literally from, from the shoulders to his butt in the middle and then up and down vertically if you were just to pick the spot from the top of the back to the belly mm-hmm. the middle which on a white tail that'd be way back mm-hmm. i mean way back in the guts mm-hmm. but on a necropsy that i've done on multiple bears i have seen that the the lungs extend back beyond the midpoint of the bear mm-hmm. and then behind those lungs lay the liver and a lot of other good stuff and so by aiming at the middle of the middle, basically you have the most room for air of any shot on the bear. Mm-hmm. If you're four inches to the right, you're really in the sweet spot of where you want to be. Mm-hmm. If you're four to eight inches to the left, back into the guts, you're still, you're not going to hit liver and, and lungs, which you did not, mm-hmm. but you're still going to kill an animal. Uh, I, I talked to an old Saskatchewan outfitter one time that told me, he said, he said, I have found almost every gut shot bear that we've ever had clients take. Mm-hmm. I personally had not recovered a bear that was gut shot quite like yours. Mm-hmm. And so while we're in the stand, I'm telling Colby this. I'm like, man, it wasn't the best shot, mm-hmm. but I think we're going to find that bear. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so to cut to the end of the story, and, and, and I mean, you hit just like basically right in front of the hips of that bear. Mm-hmm. Pass all the way through using mm-hmm. a four-blade slick trick broadhead. Mm-hmm. Super sharp, good broadhead, pass all the way through. Mm-hmm. We found that bear. It took some good blood trailing. I mean, no mm-hmm. doubt about it. There was not a lot of blood. Like mm-hmm. if you had just stumbled out there and just started wandering around looking for blood, like mm-hmm. you probably wouldn't have found it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we blood trailed that bear, and it probably took – 40 minutes. Yeah, about that. And and I do not believe the bear ran more than 200 yards. Uh, the bear was bleeding, and there were drops of blood on the ground at first, mm-hmm. and then he quit 
bleeding like that. Mm-hmm. And pretty much we were then following places where he'd rubbed on the trees. Mm-hmm. So what we started doing, we learned is we'd, you'd kind of see tracks where the bear, you know, fresh, not, not like tracks in the mud, but just like scuffed leaves where you could tell the animal had walked through, pressed down vegetation. Mm-hmm. And you'd kind of go, well, I think he went that way. And you'd, you know, kind of crawl 10 feet and look kind of underneath a leaf and you'd see a smear of kind of this dark, you know, dark red blood. I mean, it almost wasn't even blood. I mean, it, it just looked like, wet. Just looked wet. Yeah. But we kept following that. Mm-hmm. I mean, we found the bear. Yeah. Pretty darn easily. Yeah. And I believe quick. the bear did not live very long. I mean, I think the bear was dead within 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. So point of all that is to say is that if you're going to err on a shot on a bear, err to the far back of the animal. Mm-hmm. I wounded a bear in Saskatchewan this year by shooting it too far forward, hit his shoulder. Mm-hmm. I mean, the bear is still out in Saskatchewan right now being a bear. I mean, mm-hmm. it didn't even hurt him. Mm-hmm. Hardly got any penetration. If I had been four inches towards the back of the animal, I would have taken that animal. Mm-hmm. So just as an encouragement to people, you know, if you shoot one far back, don't track it right away. Yeah, give it some time. Uh but just take your time on the blood trail. Don't get in a hurry, and you'll find that bear. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so when we found it, yeah, uh, it, the bear kind of circled back around the direction it had came. It came from behind us, mm-hmm. but when it ran out, it ran out away from us. Mm-hmm. And I kind of had a feeling that it was going to want to get back in the direction it did, and sure enough, it did. Mm-hmm. It circled out in front of us, mm-hmm. and then started heading back towards this big swamp behind mm-hmm. us. And uh, I wish you hadn't made it to that big hill. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it went downhill. Yeah, and uh, but we walk up to the bear, and what was it like? Man, it was great. I for me, it was more of like relief. <laughs> yeah, you know, you don't want like because it seemed like he had gone down pretty quickly. You know, the last thing you want is to injure an animal and have it out there suffering or or whatever is going on uh, inside of their mind. Uh, but yeah, man, it was just like instant relief. It was like, oh, thank God. It's like, it was one of those things where it's like, you told me dead bear. And I wasn't going to be like excited until I saw it myself. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah. are you sure, man? Is it is it a stump? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, no, it was, it was fantastic. And I was glad that there were other people with me whenever I got there. I think that's the important thing about hunting is just like, the other people being with you. If I, if that had happened on my own, it wouldn't have had the same value to it as, as the collaborate the collaborative nature of you know you and Corey being there and like working just as hard if not harder uh than me to find the bear you know there yeah. are a few points like i saw you like on your hands just like looking low seeing if you could find stuff and man i don't know that i could have found the bear on my on my own uh just like you know i, I haven't had a lot of a lot of experience blood trailing but it was it was cool to see people that have been through been down several blood trails to yeah. to watch the process and i think there's there's almost a point of of a mentoring inside of that respect whenever you're watching people that have done things more than you and like you're just trying to take in whatever you can so that it yeah. can improve for the next time and i bet you i never make that same shot again though. yeah yeah <laughs> yeah yeah i thought i was erring on the side of caution and I, I guess i just got in my shot cycle and I didn't think that that bear just started walking and it was, it was just too late. Well, that's, there's something to learn from that because that is a, 
critical thing is when you initiate that shot cycle, you pull the bow back. You, now, you'd actually held the bow for probably 30, 40 seconds, yeah. maybe longer. It was a while. He, you held the bow for a long time. Yeah. But then mentally, you executed the shot cycle because you were thinking when the bear turns fully broadside, I'm going to shoot. Yeah. And and that's really where a guy's got to then ha- kind of complexify a shot cycle and mm-hmm. that I'm going to shoot if he stops, if he is turned right. And so you shot and the bear was still walking. So that's mm-hmm. what happened. You probably, I told you, yeah, I think initially you said, man, I was like way off. And I was like, I don't think you were, I think you probably hit right where you're aiming. The mm-hmm. bear was just moving. Yeah. You know, and that comes with experience inside of bow hunting is managing that moment of truth. And that's mm-hmm. what we talked about. Yeah. You know, like, uh, and, and man, I was impressed with how calm you were. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, I think, I think I was more nervous than you. I, I, man, when I'm in a tree stand with somebody that's going to shoot, I'm like nervous as a cat. It's like, <laughs> yeah, I, I, my heart was pumping. I was filming. It was fun. But so, I mean, I guess just more cognizance in the moment and just like really being sure, you know, cause we've all, every bow hunter has made that same mistake. And so mm. you just, you just learn. Yeah. And luckily on this one, it didn't really matter. Yeah. I mean, if you'd have made a great shot, the bear would have ran 40 yards rather mm-hmm. than 200, which really was inconsequential. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was an awesome bear. I, we didn't weigh the bear. It was so far back in the bush. We weren't able to like bring the animal out whole, mm-hmm. but we really believed it weighed 350. It was a boar. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a good one. Green scored the skull, 18, four or yeah. something like that. And what, so, a six foot nine square? Yeah, yeah, six foot nine square. It was it was six and a half foot, six and a half foot from nose to tail, green hide. Yeah. So, you know, green hide stretched out, yeah. six and a half foot, and then the wingspan was seven foot. Mm-hmm. So square, you take the, the length of the bear, nose to tail, mm-hmm. divide it by the width of the bear. So basically yeah. the average of those two. Yeah. And uh, so it was a super bear. I mean, mm-hmm. super duper bear. So that was day one. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm going to speed this along here. Because so now Colby's hunt is done mm-hmm. and he's going to film me. Yeah. Um, and the first afternoon that I hunted, we were sitting on the ground. I told Corey that I wanted to hunt on the ground and I was going to hunt with a recurve. And, you know, the it, it's, it's a little, you know, I continue to learn every time I go on a hunt because you're constantly like gauging like how good the hunting is what your expectations are for the hunt, what you would like to bring home, like as far as like the, the, the best possible scenario and then kind of the reality of really what are your chances for bringing that home. I mean, like like kind of taking a complex look at the whole hunt and like, for instance, like if we had hunted with you the first day and it had been like super tough hunting and we hadn't seen a bear, they would have calibrated me to be like, buddy, you better take advantage mm-hmm. of every opportunity that you get. Yeah. But when it's as awesome as it was on the first day, mm-hmm. it kind of sets you up to think, man, this is, this is, we're in, we're Big in, we're in the chips. Yeah. You know, this is going to be good. Yeah. This is the first bait that we set on. We killed a top notch bear. Mm hmm. So we've got four days left to hunt. I can be picky. Mm-hmm. Like that was what I thought. Yeah. And, and, I, and I I don't regret thinking that. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the first day we went into this bait, we knew what was there. We'd seen trail pictures. We knew there was a color phase bear there. We knew he was a good one. Didn't know exactly how good. 
And basically, the first couple hours were a little bit slow, but at about 8 o'clock, it gets dark about 9 o'clock. At 8 o'clock, bears just started piling in. Mm-hmm. We're on the ground. And the first bear in was a nice boar mm-hmm. that I would say most clients of any northern Canada bear outfit probably was shot. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was a, it was a nice boar. Mm-hmm. Older boar, kind of had squatty ears. He was one of those boars that I think could fool you and make you think you were shooting a 400-pounder because mm-hmm. he wasn't a young bear. Um, but I didn't want to shoot that bear. And then the second bear that came in was this color-faced bear. Mm-hmm. Pretty. And, uh, oh, he was, he was, he was spectacular. Yeah. Uh, just, just the coloration of him. But he was not as big as your bear. Mm-hmm. And so in my mind, I really valued size and age of the bear over color of the bear mm-hmm. I, i'm probably the first person ever at Corey's camp to pass up a color face bear like that yeah because it was good size it yeah was, i mean it was you know at the mark. time i said it was a six foot bear but it probably was like a six three six four type bear mm-hmm. um i don't think it weighed 300 pounds mm-hmm. i could be wrong i posted a picture on facebook a minute ago and i looked at that bear and i was like dang that's a big bear but in my heart of hearts, I don't think it weighed 300 pounds. Yeah. And in my mind, in the fall, I was wanting to shoot at least a 300-pound bear. Mm-hmm. So when I saw the bear, I immediately, I was just like, I'm not going to shoot that bear. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you why. Because when I was in Saskatchewan two months ago, I, I learned something that I hope I don't forget. We, we we hunted the whole week, and the first like minute of bear hunting, I'm not kidding you, in Saskatchewan, a color-faced bear came in. I mean, the first day we got there, hunting with Bear Pro Safaris, mm-hmm. Colby Morrison. I mean, we sit down, and here comes a color-faced bear. And it's a nice bear. It's probably, I don't know how big it was, 230, 240-pound spring bear, which is a good bear. Mm-hmm. And and we end up watching that bear all week. For mm-hmm. five days, we see that bear every single day. I passed him on the first day. And then on the last day of the hunt, I decided to shoot that bear. Mm-hmm. And I ended up shooting that bear and wounding it. Mm-hmm. And it just left a terrible taste in my mouth for obvious reasons. But really more internally because I felt like the old saying that we've heard hunters say our whole life, don't pass up anything on the first day that you wouldn't shoot on the last. Mm-hmm. I've heard people say that. Mm-hmm. But so you could you could switch that old proverb around, you know, mm-hmm. and say, why shoot something on the last day that you didn't shoot on the first? Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like that bear... I didn't want to take it then, and then at the end of the hunt, I was like, well, rather than going home empty-handed, I'm going to shoot this bear, and I did, made a bad shot, and and it just, you know, I I think there's a lot of lessons to be learned inside of hunting that are broader than just what happens in the natural, Mm -hmm. you know, and and I I just just didn't feel right about it afterwards, not not just that I wounded the animal, but it was just like, I felt like I kind of compromised my value system, Mm -hmm. so we passed this, but well... When I saw this bear, this bear was almost identical to the bear I shot in Saskatchewan. Mm-hmm. And I, I just kind of had this like taste in my mouth. It's like, I don't want to shoot that bear. Just, it wasn't rational. It was like internal, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And, uh, I used to not really listen to that voice very strongly as a young hunter, but I do now. And I was like, I turned to Colby, who's filming, and I just said, I don't think I'm going to shoot that bear. Did that surprise you? Well, you know. I was on the ground instead of his stand, so it looked big to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I was surprised. <laughs> well, so, so this is my first day to hunt. This bear comes in. This is the bear we're there to kill. 
Mm-hmm. And I decide not to shoot it. And uh, we watch it. Another color face bear comes in, a color face sow. Mm-hmm. Beautiful color face sow comes in. And then another big black sow. So at one time, we had four bears within 20 yards of us. Mm-hmm. One of the bears was, we we said, there's different classifications of the way that bears respond to you when you're on the ground. There's some that are just curious and they'll come over to you maybe get seven or eight feet from you and kind of booger off after they get a good look at you and smell you. And there's others that are what I classify as highly interested, mm-hmm. uh, which those are the ones you kind of got to watch. Mm-hmm. And one of the boars was highly interested in us. Mm-hmm. And he, I don't know how many times he circled around and came very close to us, but probably six, seven times in an hour. Maybe more than that. It was... I mean, he just kept coming. For and, different sides. And what they do, yeah, different And what they always do when they do that is the first time they'll come to, like, this buffer zone that they have in their mind. And the next time they'll come two foot closer. Mm-hmm. And the next time they'll come two foot closer. And, I mean, the, the cycle ends when they're in the blind with you, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he was you real don't, close. <laughs> you, don't, you don't let them get to that situation. Yeah. And uh, so all we had was a bow. You can't carry, uh, you can't carry a pistol. pistol or anything. So we didn't have a gun. I had bear spray and uh, the bear, when he came in, he, he'd kind of lower his head and look at you in the eye. Mm-hmm. I mean, I didn't like that bear. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I had the bear spray out mm-hmm. and I don't know if you can see it on film, but after about two times of him doing that, I dug the bear spray out mm-hmm. and a couple of times I almost just popped him just cause mm-hmm. he was getting pretty close. Mm-hmm. One time I talked to him and he walked away. But so we, at one point it was a, amazing evening. I mean, like this bear would be coming in from this side mm-hmm. and we'd be kind of looking over our shoulder because there was another bear, you know, eight yards from us over here mm-hmm. and two bears fighting out here. I mean, it was a, just a cluster of bear activity, which mm-hmm. was super fun. So this is day number two. Mm-hmm. And then I'll go back to the calibration of the hunt. This adds to the, 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 it, it adds to the story that this is going to be an easy hunt. Not, yeah. Maybe not easy, but, we're going to have some opportunity. Yeah. Be picky, you know, be yeah. picky. And so I'm feeling good. We come back out. You killed a big one on the first day. Second day, I passed up this bear. Mm-hmm. And uh, then third day comes. We sit in the same spot as we did the night before and didn't see a single bear. Mm-hmm. Didn't see a single bear. Yep, skunked. Skunked. And so then we're like, dang. The only skunk in northern Manitoba. The only <laughs> skunk in northern Manitoba. And then... At that point, that's when I was kind of like, maybe this is going to be harder than we thought. Because then I only had two days left. Mm-hmm. Five-day hunt. Spent one day hunt with you. Mm-hmm. Thanks so, for that. Yeah. No, <laughs> I'm glad I did. And uh, so to make a long story short, I hunted the next two days after that. Um, the next night, we actually saw six bears. And a shooter bear came in, I mean, at dark 30. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was like. It was it was light enough to be able to see a silhouette up against some of our reference points for us to go, that's a good bear. Mm. But it was too dark to shoot. Didn't shoot him. So we saw lots of action that night. Saw a lot of bear activity. Mm-hmm. But didn't kill a bear. And then here we are at the last day. And I've yeah. still not killed a bear. Yeah. And we don't really have a just a... I mean, we had tons of options. I mean, Corey's mm-hmm. got tons of baits, tons of bears mm-hmm. coming in, and some but, big bears on like coming in that we haven't seen yet. Oh yeah, on camera like some some big ones. It, what happens with these bears in the fall though is even if there's not hunting pressure, what they end up doing is 
they they turn nocturnal. Mm-hmm. I mean, even on these baits that have not even been hunted this fall. Yeah. So it's not from hunting pressure, but it's just like the the lunar cycle and just the way that they start to respond to fall denning is that they get more and more nocturnal. Mm-hmm. So we had some really big bears that were nocturnal. And anyway, finally on the last day, I hunted by myself. We were trying to be a little more incognito rather than bringing in two people. Mm-hmm. Uh, these bears are pretty sensitive to people. Been in some places in the far north where you could bring your family in there, have a picnic, and these bears don't seem to care. Mm-hmm. These bears did. They were pretty concerned about us being there. Mm-hmm. You know, so we were trying to watch our scent and watch the wind. And I was running an Ozonics, and you know, we were doing some stuff to try to help our scent. Anyway, the final day came, and uh, we bumped a wolf off the bait, and this was a new bait. So I hunted, I guess we hunted, I hunted three different spots, mm-hmm. four spots counting yours mm-hmm. in a five-day hunt. Yeah. Um, and I sat in there the final day, and I uh, had a nice, like, really nice boar come in, but just, he just wasn't, he just wasn't what I went up there to kill. Mm-hmm. Watched him feed most of the evening. Had a sow come in with three cubs right at dark, which is fun to watch them. And then the sun set mm-hmm. on the Manitoba evening, and the hunt was over. Yep. And um, so I, I didn't kill a bear. Mm-hmm. I didn't kill a bear. Mm-hmm. And I don't like that. That that puts a cramp in my, in my systems. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, you know, with a magazine, I mean – I make a living gathering bear hunting content and we got some great content, mm-hmm. but I mean, you always hope to bring home a bear. Mm-hmm. And now this is two hunts in a row in Canada that I have not brought, brought home a bear. Mm-hmm. So in five years of traveling extensively with bear hunting magazine, that's never happened. I mean, I've almost killed a bear on every hunt except mm-hmm. for Alaska. Um, and, uh, uh, once I went to Alaska, didn't kill a bear. I've been spot. I've been hunting in Montana twice without killing a bear. I've been to Quebec. Uh, yeah, Quebec one time I didn't kill a bear. So the, the odd hunt, mm-hmm. don't bring home, bring home a bear. But mm-hmm. so, but I felt good. I left and I felt like I hadn't compromised my value system. We could have, on the last night, Corey said you could go back to where you saw the color phase bear on the first night. Mm-hmm. Like he gave us that opportunity. For another night, And the yeah. bear was coming back in. We had pictures of the bear there. Mm-hmm. Um, and... We really could have gone back in and probably killed that bear. Mm-hmm. And I just said, nah, I don't want to do it. Because mm-hmm. that's the exact same thing I did in Saskatchewan. Mm-hmm. Passed the bear on the first day, came in on the last day, mm-hmm. shot it. Didn't turn out good. And I was like, nah, I'm not going to do it. If I pass that bear, I'm not going to take it on the last day. So went in, didn't kill him. So I was super impressed with Corey Grant, all terrain mm-hmm. bear hunts. Like he's very, he's very managed. He's very ordered. Mm-hmm. He's a man of his word. If he says he's going to do something, he's mm-hmm. going to do it. Uh, his intent really is to get people on big bears. Mm-hmm. Uh, his intent is to give you a first class Northern experience. Mm-hmm. He's a veteran, um, clean. I mean, mm-hmm. I, 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 I say that because I've been in camps that weren't well managed, mm-hmm. and most of them are. I mean, I, I kind of cherry pick my hunts these days and, and just go with people that I really feel like are gonna gonna represent our magazine well and stuff. And I mean, Corey totally fits in that category, mm-hmm. and and I'd highly recommend him to anybody that's wanting a northern Canadian hunt. Mm-hmm. And to go back and to end, we're gonna end this quickly here, but. The fall hunt is pretty awesome mm-hmm. because these bears are getting ready to go to sleep for six months mm-hmm. and they're eating like crazy. 
They've got a lot more weight on them than the spring bears do. And their coats are absolutely fantastic. Mm-hmm. I mean, they are getting ready to go survive the northern winter. Their coats are, I think they're better than spring coats. Mm-hmm. They're thicker. They're finer. Um, and uh, no, we didn't see any rubbed bears at all. Mm-hmm. Bears were all fully, fully haired out. Slick. The underbellies were fully haired out. Yeah, slick, mm-hmm. shiny coats. I mean, El Primo coats. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think we saw a bad one. No. Nope. We, I mean, and we saw, I don't know how many bears. Close 20, to 20. 20 bears. Yeah. About 20 bears. Um, so we left. That night, got out of the stand, got in the boat, motored back to the camp. Colby was like, let's go home. Yeah. And I was like, okay, if you drive. <laughs> so we uh, we got to the truck. We realized there was a brake light out on the truck. Yeah. Okay. That uh, we didn't notice before. Yeah, the old tail light. So we drove all the way from northern Manitoba to northwest Arkansas with a tail light out. Mm-hmm. And uh, we did get pulled over three times mm-hmm. on the trip. The first guy, the first state trooper was in South Dakota. And the first thing he said was he saw the first light sticker on the back of my truck. And, and then we Colby wearing, was wearing yeah. first light. And so was I. Yeah. Colby was still in his get up from hunting. I mean, he had yeah. his like canabs on his rubber boots is a first light shirt. Anyway, this, this cop comes to our truck and he's like, I like that first light gear. Yeah. (laughs) I was like, wow, this guy's cool. (laughs) Then he saw the, the deer horn hanging from my keychain. Yeah. Shows you how perceptive they are. I mean, he was like, he was like scanning our truck. He's like first light deer horn. Yeah. And, uh, then he saw my, my crested arrows in the back of my truck. And he's Mm -hmm. like, you're traditional bow hunter. Mm -hmm. And I was like, this is a good cop. <laughs> right. This guy's like totally dialed us in. Yeah. And uh, so I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm a traditional boy. So he's like, he's like real professional. He's like, sir, um, did you have a cruise, consul- cruise control set? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, you're going 86 miles per hour. It w- but what saved us was 80, 80 mile per hour speed limit in South Dakota. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't terrible. Yeah. And anyway, I was like, yeah, my cruise control is set. And uh, I said, man, we're coming home from Manitoba. We just... We just got off this hunt. And then Colby, and this is where our strategy rolls into how to get out of a, a, a ticket on the way home from a hunt. Colby's like, yeah, man, I just killed my first bear. You want to see the picture? <laughs> and bam, the situation just like flipped, <laughs> yeah. flipped. And so Colby pulls out the phone, starts showing him pictures. The guy starts talking to us about hunting. And, I mean, we knew we were in the clear. Yeah. And then he kind of surprised us when he said, sir, do you mind stepping out of the car and going back with me to my to cruiser the, to the cruiser? Yeah. And I was like, well, uh, that's not customary here in Arkansas or Texas. And I was so watching I was the mirror like, the whole time. I'm like, what's going on? Back I was here? like, okay. Uh, and so I get out, go to his cruiser, sit with him in the car. Like when I got to the door, I'm like, you want me to like get in here? And uh, he was like, yeah. And so I sit in the cruiser with him. And we talk about hunting for 20 minutes. I'm serious. I'm it was not, a while. I didn't know how long it was. I mean, it, it was, it, I was, maybe I'm exaggerating when I say 20 minutes. I don't feel At like it. 18. I don't feel like it. I mean, we, we talked about hunting in South Dakota. We talked about him hunting back in the western part of the state, trying to find deer in the east. Talked about hybrid whitetails and mule deer. I mean, we had an extensive conversation. Mm-hmm. I told him about Bear Hunting Magazine. Uh, he Anyway. We had a good conversation, and he's just like, I'm just going to give you a verbal warning. He said, we really just want you to slow it down a little bit. And mm-hmm. I was like, 10-4, buddy. Yeah. And so then 
But so then on the way home after it got dark, we did not get pulled over for speeding. If that cop is listening right now, officer in South Dakota, we did pretty much keep it under control the rest of the way. Indeed. But we did get pulled over for the taillights. Yeah. And so Colby and I are both concealed carry permit holders. And so what we learned was the second you see the lights, get your license, concealed carry permits out, got the registration out. Turns out my proof of insurance was out of date. Mm -hmm. I am insured for the record, but Mm -hmm. I didn't have the actual proof of insurance. So we had two driver's license, two concealed carry permits, the registration. So we hand him this like massive amount of information Mm -hmm. and he's like trying to process like what all this stuff is. And we're like, we're both concealed carry permit holders. And he goes, do you have a gun in the truck? And we go, no, we don't. (laughs) We just got both because we just came from Canada. Can't have handguns in Canada. So I mean, we're just like overwhelming him with information, like before he even asked for it. And don't have a gun. The owner of the truck has to be in the passenger seat. Yeah. So I'm driving. That's why you hand both sets of, yep. 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 So, so Colby's driving. I'm in the passenger seat. And like he, and then Colby's going, it's his truck, but he's driving, ba 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 ba. And then right when all that, like the moment that he processes what he's got in his hands, Colby's like, I just killed my first bear. <laughs> <laughs> and then every single cop was like highly impressed with that. Yeah. They were like, really? Showed the picture. And we were like, man. And then I try, you know, I chime in. I'm like, yeah, man, we've been driving. We, dri- we just came from Northern Manitoba going to Arkansas. And they're like, really? You drove all of that? Yeah. And then they all wanted to know what was in the ice chest. Okay, the other thing that threw them off was the Orion ice chest yeah. in the rack on the back of the truck that covered our license plate. Obstructing the view. Oh, man. If there's one tip for traveling, I would say, even if you have a truck and if you've got room for it in the back of the truck, don't put it in the back of the truck. <laughs> put it on the rack on the back. Yeah. Covers the license plate because just the cops are just like, it's not illegal. It's totally throwing illegal. them off. Throwing them off. It's just one more thing they had to ask. Like, and it's what's bright it? orange. Bright orange. Confuses the, them. Yeah, the, the cop in South Dakota was like, what kind of ice chest is that? And I was like, oh, Ryan, man, it's yeah. a really nice ice chest made in they Jackson, might, Tennessee. They, they make kayaks, too. You can sell them down the river and be good. Oh, man. I, I'm serious. I told them the whole story of O'Ryan. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, but then they go, every single cop asked if the bear was in the ice chest. <laughs> and we were like, yep. I guess it is. It's, it's totally. And they, I, all of, one of them, I think, wanted to see it. Yeah. He didn't, he didn't quite. We didn't quite get there, but I, I, it was like his next question was going to be like, "Can I see it?" But he didn't, and it was it was frozen, all yeah. balled up. But so anyway, overwhelmed them with information. We made it home. Um, well, we had one more stop. That well, was just the second stop. Yeah, that was the second stop. The last one went about the same. The last one went. I mean, we nailed this guy. He's like, like, we got pulled over in like an, forty minutes ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like we're like, we know the tail lights out. Yep, we know the man's know. killing our time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was, we were trying to get home to see the family, but um, so overall, epic road trip, epic hunt. You got your first bear. Mm-hmm. You had your first northern bear experience first mm-hmm. trip to canada mm-hmm. um as for my first time with all-terrain bear hunts Corey grant super impressed would love to go back hope to go back and uh man awesome awesome yeah. hunt i want to go back on a moose hunt yeah he's, he's in a super moose area yeah yeah that'd be that would be very epic Corey has like 12 moose tags i think that he mm-hmm. uses every year yeah. and um he he killed a Boone and Crockett like sixty inch Canada moose uh, in 2015. Uh, they kill some super nice moose up there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Canada moose 
Canada moose are the smaller moose. I mean, Yukon moose are the big moose that are in Alaska and the Yukon. Mm-hmm. Canada moose are the moose that are just all across most of Canada. A big Canada moose is, I mean, obviously they get big, but mm-hmm. the average Canada moose is probably in the 40, 40 inch range. I mean, they're not a giant moose. And then the smallest moose is the Shirus moose, which Shirus moose are the moose that are in the lower 48. So mm-hmm. Shirus moose would be like in Idaho and Montana and Maine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Maine is Maine. Maine is not a Shirus moose. Maine is a Canada moose, I'm pretty sure. But neither here nor there. He's got mm-hmm. good moose hunting, mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Hey, thanks for listening to the Bear Hunting Magazine podcast. You'll be able to watch this hunt and Colby's hunt on Bear Horizon on our YouTube channel. And for those of you, if somebody's listening to this that has not seen our YouTube channel, that's where most of our content is going right now, video content. But we also have two channels on Carbon TV. We've got our From the Global Headquarters vlog, and we've got our Bear Horizon series. We're on season five. This is the fifth year that we've um, taped, you know, videoed all our hunts across North America. And... You'll be able to watch Colby's whole hunt. So, hey, check out Bear Hunting Magazine. If you're not a subscriber, check it out. Every single one of you needs to get this magazine in the mail. Mm. Why wouldn't you want to get it in the mail every other month? To your house. I mean, it's right to your house. You get to hold it in your hand. Print magazine. Or businesses. Businesses. Put it out there on the coffee table. Yep. Mm. Yep. Yep. So, all right. Until next time. Keep the wild places wild because that's where the bears live. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. Hey, we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries. Now, if you're like me, enjoying the great outdoors, you need gear that is as reliable as it gets. That's why I power my adventures with interstate batteries. I use interstate batteries in my boats. I use interstate batteries in my camper. Great for your truck, too. From Alaska to Montana, they're outrageously dependable. Battery is essential. With over 150,000 dealer locations, finding one is easy. For all your vehicles, land or sea, choose interstate. Head to interstatebatteries.com and find your power today.